If you have your Bibles, look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning. We are finishing up 1 Peter 3. While you're turning there, let me just uh, mention something that I would really appreciate you praying about. Uh, maybe you've seen this on uh, Facebook this week, but uh, on February, February 7 through 9, uh, we are going to do another evangelism crusade here in our community. Uh, last February, we held it at the fairgrounds, and it was with the Baptist churches in the community. But this year, we're wanting to expand it to all the evangelical churches. And right now, we have 17 churches on board for this evangelistic crusade. I've been here for 21 years, and I can uh, count on one hand, maybe Maybe twice now in 21 years where the churches had come together and worked together to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I am just really excited about the possibilities. Our next uh, planning meeting is going to be October 29. But uh, one thing that we're going to emphasize this year in leading up to the crusade is um, the... uh, the prayer evangelism effort, Who's Your One? Um, this is uh, something that the North American Mission Board has put together. We did this uh, in our church a couple years ago. But uh, now this is a national emphasis, and I am encouraging the other churches of Ridgecrest to participate in this, uh, this prayer sermon ser- series study emphasis leading up to the crusade. It's going to be free uh, to to everybody, but how awesome would it be if all the churches of Ridgecrest were, were praying for the one person on their heart that God wants to see, they want to see God move in their heart to come to, to Christ through them. Does that get you excited? Hello! <laughs> it ought to that all the churches of Richcrest would be doing this simultaneously before our crusade. So pray that uh, God will just uh, encourage pastors that we will all be uh, working together and Christ will be magnified um, on February, February 7 through 9 in, in our community. So excited about that. Well, uh, again, we are going to be looking at verses uh, 13 through 22 this morning. And as I got up this morning and uh, was just wanting to look at my notes and I turned on my computer, uh, right there in front of my eyes was this quote uh, that I found on my computer, uh, quoting George Orwell. He said this, The further society drifts away from the truth, the more they will hate those who speak it. And how that is so true today. Our our society, our culture has just drifted away from truth. And it's drifting faster and further than ever before. And how the Christian community is hated in particular. Uh, The passage of Scripture this morning, uh, church, applies to our day and age just as it did to these first century uh, believers. And 
And I hate to sound like a broken record, but Peter is saying over and over and over again in this book that we are going to go through suffering. He is preparing the church, the 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 Christians in this first century Asia Minor region, that they are going to have to go through suffering. And the first week when we looked at First Peter, um, Peter told us that when we go through suffering, we need to rejoice in suffering because we are being more being made more like Jesus Christ. In verse th- thirteen. Peter talked about the fact that we need to prepare our minds for action. And in preparing our minds for action as we're going through suffering, that we need to live holy and honorable lives that people may see our good deeds and glorify Christ upon his return. And so, church, we need to arm ourselves with the faith to suffer for the cause of Christ. Um, Suffering is biblical. It is to be expected. And again, in this passage of Scripture, uh, Peter is telling us, encouraging us in what we need to be doing. So I want to start with verses uh, 13 through 16 first, and um, just briefly uh, summarize what Peter is telling us here. But verse 13 says this, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Three things that Peter tells us in these first three verses. Number one, when you're going through suffering, when people are reviling you, threatening you, don't be afraid. We are to be suffering for the sake of righteousness, for the name of Christ. And when Peter tells us these things. You know, Peter has come so far in his relationship, his walk with God. You remember uh, what Peter was like when, uh, when uh, on that night that Jesus was betrayed, and uh, he went before his confusers, and uh, people saw Peter from a distance and knew that he was associated with this Jesus. Peter was even uh, afraid of a little servant girl's question. Hey, don't you belong to this Jesus? And Peter, being afraid, denied it. On that night, we know that Peter denied Christ three times because he was afraid that he might suffer. And so, but yet, Peter, uh, after the resurrection, 
He was courageous. He was bold in his faith. And now here, here we see Peter 30 years later, after the ascension of Christ. And Peter is telling these believers in this region, hey, you're going to go through suffering, but don't be afraid. When it comes to suffering, church, it is not the opposite of blessing. Jesus said, you are blessed if you suffered. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Just expect it. Peter is telling these believers, and when it happens, don't be afraid of them. Rather, number two, honor Christ. When they ask you, you know, what what makes you so different? You know, why aren't you like everybody else? Uh, Peter's saying, honor Christ. Verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 15 but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So be prepared for the answer of why you are different. Why are you rejoicing? Why are you so hopeful? And church, it is because of all that Christ has done for us. And not only did he suffer and die for us, but we're going to look at this in a moment, but he rose from the grave. We have a living hope. And when asked that question, when called on the carpet, we need to honor Christ. We don't need to be ashamed of him. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't be afraid of him. Tell them the truth. What has Christ done for you? That's the only reason why we have hope, because of all that Christ has done for us. And then number three, do it with gentleness and respect. Again, we see how Peter has changed. Because back in that garden, when those soldiers came for Christ, what did Peter want to do? He took out a sword. He chopped off a soldier's ear. He wanted to defend, defend his Lord and Savior. God forbid that, that he would, Jesus would go against the authority, before the authorities and, and, uh, and suffer and die. And so we see this knee-jerk reaction in Peter at the garden. And yet, as Peter watched Jesus suffer, and died. As Jesus watched Jesus, Peter watched Jesus coming back from the grave. This transformed Peter's life. And so no longer do we see uh, an impulsive and self-righteous individual, but one who is gentle and humble. Peter's 
gentle in this passage of Scripture today because of how much his Lord and Savior suffered for him. Because of for his sin. And Peter is courageous in this passage of Scripture because Jesus is alive. He has defeated the enemy at his very best game, death. He's conquered it all. And so Peter is encouraging these um, Christians that when you, when you suffer, don't be afraid. Tell them the hope that is within you and do it with gentleness and respect. Because your confidence isn't in yourself. It's in the confidence in the God, the Lord and Savior, who has called you to this. So be encouraged when you go through suffering. Now, we want to get to verses 17 through 22 this morning. And I just want to bring... um, point out that our texts in verses 18 through 22 are sandwiched between two verses, two slices of suffering. Okay, verse 17. Verse 17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And then look at chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh in flesh has has ceased from sin. So again, it's this idea of suffering this morning, church. Peter wants to encourage us, and he wants to encourage us with five things this morning. And and when it comes to suffering, again, let me just remind us that these words of encouragement, um, these promises, are only for those who are followers of Christ. Believers in Him. It's not just, it's just not for anybody and everything. If you're suffering today for having done wrong, well, it's a good thing that you're suffering for what you've done wrong. You deserve that. But whom Jesus is talking about this morning is for those who have done good and yet suffered. And if that describes you this morning, then what Peter has to share with us is for you. And you can hold on to these words. You can hold on to these promises. So let's look at verses 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the Spirit in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, 
but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So again, what is Peter wanting to share? What is Peter wanting to show us as we go through suffering? And again, he's talking to the people who have been doing the right thing and yet suffering for it. When times get tough, Peter wants us to know to remember: number one, Jesus also suffered. Verse eighteen: For Christ also suffered. If Christ suffered, Christian, so will we as followers of Christ. Jesus says in John 15, verse 20, verse 20, so if he suffered, you will suffer. Suffering for doing right is to be expected. And when we suffer, we need to allow that suffering to bring us into closer communion with God. He wants us to be more dependent on Him. He wants us through suffering to be able to know Him more. This was the desire of Paul's heart when he went through suffering. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 10. Indeed, I count everything's loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. So just know, Jesus suffered. And as you go through suffering, allow this to bring you closer into relationship, communion, fellowship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter says, keep doing good. Let them see your godly examples. Follow Jesus. Imitate Christ. And be blessed by knowing that as you go through suffering, it is an opportunity for you to know him more and more. Jesus suffered. The second thing Peter wants us to know in this passage, well, before I get there, um, do you know some people who are going through suffering? I mean, you see their lives, and they are godly individuals. Does that upset you? Do you have a tendency of blaming God that they have to go through. God, these are good people. Why do you allow this? And 
it creates in you a heart of bitterness, of, of confusion. The enemy wants to use that in your life. And so instead of allowing it to trip you up, you need to know the word. You know, I was talking to an individual here uh, recently that, uh, you know, his, his wife's going through some hard times. And he gets angry at God about that. And you know why? Because he doesn't know the word. As Christians, church, there is going to be suffering. It may be for the cause of Christ, may on the mission field. It may be in your personal health. It, it may be with your family. I don't know what's happening in your life, but if you're doing the right thing, that doesn't mean life is always going to go your way. And yet God wants to use it in your life to bring more dependence upon Him. Intimacy. Christ suffered. And so will we. And we looked at this a few weeks ago in chapter 2, verse 21. Peter says, we've been called to a life of suffering just as Christ suffered. You know Johnny Erickson. She was injured in a diving accident when she was in her teenage years, and she's been a a quadriplegic for, she's now in her 60s. 70s? Okay. And um, she wrote this in um, one of her books in a journal entry. And she has images of meeting Jesus in heaven and speaking to him about her wheelchair experience. And she said this, The weaker I was in that thing, my wheelchair, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It never would have happened had you not given me, given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. The bruising of the blessing of the wheelchair. How can she say that? It's only because the grace of God in her life. God has used this in her life to draw her to him for absolute dependence. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said the same thing. Verses 9 and 10, he said, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Friend, it would be a whole lot easier to curl up in a ball and just have a pity party for a life. And in the flesh, that's where we go all the time. 
but in the power of His Holy Spirit, He wants us to come to Him. To appreciate and find that intimacy and that strength to be made perfect in our weakness. And so number one, remember Jesus suffered. Number two, Jesus died and was raised so that you could be with God. Verse 18 again says, Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. It was necessary, church, for Jesus to suffer and died and rise again that he might bring us to God. This was the only way. Peter didn't understand that in the beginning. Peter said, God forbid, you can count on me, Jesus. I'm going to be there, protect you from death. And what did, Peter, what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Because that wasn't God's plan. Jesus to live a a great, full life to the very end. Jesus came to die for our sin. And Peter has grown to understand that. Peter now knows why. So that we could be brought to God. And it was through Jesus' death, my unrighteousness for his righteousness, that was the great exchange. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus took my sin, my my unrighteousness upon himself, nailing it to cross, allowing the wrath of his Father to be poured out on Christ. And when I gave him my unrighteousness, the Bible says, he gave me his righteousness. I didn't deserve that. It was only by God's grace. And so as God looks on me, as God looks on you as a child of God, he doesn't see your sin. He sees his son's righteousness on you and that only could have taken place when Jesus suffered and died and rose again. It is through suffering, Christ's suffering, that we obtain peace with God. That is the only way. Peace can't come any other way can't come through a glass of wine. It can't come through your favorite drink at Starbucks. It can't come through uh, your favorite lake to be fishing on. It can't come through your Zen garden. It can't come through eating chocolate. 
The only way we find peace, church, is through the person of Christ. And when we obtain the peace of God, where we're in a right relationship with Him, we're no longer His enemy, but He's our friend, then we find peace with God. And that only could be obtained through Jesus' suffering and dying and rising from the grave again. So, are you suffering this morning because you're doing good? Just understand, God's not mad at you. God's mad about you. He's got you. You're in His hand. You are in safe keeping. Going back to chapter 1, verse 5. God's got this. He's for you and not against you. This is meant to be. So just trust His heart and allow this to bring you into closer communion with your Heavenly Father. And number three, he says, remember the days of Noah. Uh, that's, that's kind of out of the blue here in this passage of Scripture. Let me read verses 19 and 20 again. Well, verse 18, the last part says, And he was made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because... They formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now, you read that at the beginning, you think, what in the world, why did Peter bring that up? Well, if you go back in history to... Uh, Asia Minor in this region, um, Noah was kind of a big deal, even among Gentiles. Um, you know, you had the story of the flood, the, the flood in, in Genesis. We have that biblical account, and uh, the the Jewish people and the, and the Christians at that time knew that uh, biblical story, but there are also four other um, flood accounts that were um, fami- people were familiar with in this, Egypt, in this region. So the, the flood story was a big story, and they knew who Noah, Noah was. Uh, Noah was a very uh, central figure in this flood story. In fact, uh, if you look at uh, the second and third centuries BC, and there were five Roman emperors between the second and third century uh, uh, AD that uh, had the image of Noah on the uh, the Roman coins. 
You'd have the image of the Roman emperor at the time, and you turn the coin over, and you would have an image of Noah. And so as Peter is bringing up uh, this account in verses 19 and 20, and uh, the difficult, the great difficulty that Noah went through in building the ark, he's encouraging these believers in Asia Minor, who are, ve- are a very oppressed minority, it, that if he can save a few, eight people in the days of Noah, if he can save a few, he can save you. All right? And church, let that just encourage you. God knows your name. And he knows the wicked uh, culture in which you uh, are, are going through today. He knows your trials. He knows your difficulties. And if he can save Noah's family, he can save you. He rescued uh, um, eight people uh, through, through the ark. Now, you just need to understand Noah for a second. Noah and his family went through a lot of suffering. It took 120 years to build the ark. And there was a lot of uh, testifying. There was a lot of preaching going on uh, with Noah in those 120 years. Go back to Genesis chapter 6 for a second. Let me just uh, show you um, what it was like. Verses 1 through 6. Verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive. Now, when you see that word uh, phrase, sons of God, that can mean uh, angels. If you go to Job chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 2, Verse 1, it refers to uh, uh, the demons, the demonic angels, the fallen angels in the book of Job. And so that's what's happening here. Um, The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. I mean, there's some real weird stuff going on in this passage of Scripture here. Okay? Uh, Fallen angels have uh, taken on the appearance of man and they have had sexual relations with the daughters of um, with the daughters of man, man and they have had demonic offspring okay going on and they took as their wives any they chose verse 3 then the lord said my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh, his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, they were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. This was like a superhuman um, uh, form of man. These were giants. They were described as giants. Verse 5. 
The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the hearts of uh, thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man animals and creeping things and the birds of the heavens for i am sorry that i have made them but noah found favor in the eyes of the lord so this was the generation in which noah began to build his ark only noah believed in god at this time And so as he began to build this ark, you can imagine the ridicule, the the slander. I mean, just being ostracized from all society. You're a fool, Noah. Why are you doing this? And yet for 120 years, Noah is faithful. And then the Bible says that after Noah had completed the ark when he had collected all the animals. And the animals and his family came into the ark. God shut the door. And what happened? God's wrath through water was poured out upon the earth and God destroyed everything else. But he kept... Eight people safe in the ark. If God can rescue a few, my friend, God is going to rescue you. You know Jesus personally. And you're being faithful to Him in spite of the persecution. In spite of the slander, God knows your name. You are in His protective custody. Remember Noah. Now I don't have time to go and talk to you know uh, the, the rest of this passage, the, that the rest of that verse that talks about Jesus having gone and and gone to, to prison and proclaimed to um, the evil spirits. What, what's that there? Did Jesus go to hell when Jesus died and before he was resurrection, re- resurrected? No, he didn't go to hell. But there was a special prison reserved for these fallen angels. And if you go to the book of Jude... Uh, chapter 6, or verse 6, and verses 14 and 15, you learn more there. But basically, what Jesus went and said to these fallen angels in that prison, these spirits in prison, your fate is sealed. What I have done on the cross and through the resurrection, guys, you're not getting out. Your fate is sealed for all eternity. I win. God wins. What Noah told you has absolutely come true. 
So Peter's saying to those who are going to suffer, remember the days of Noah. And then the next thing he says in verse 21, he talks about baptism. This is kind of weird. Baptism, which corresponds to this now, corresponds to what? Corresponds to the ark that Noah and his family were in, now saves you. What? Baptism saves you? No, that's not, not what he's referring to here. When, when we're baptized, Peter says, not as a removal of dirt from the body. Now, when we go through the waters of baptism, when we're physically baptized, it may clean us up on the outside. But it's not baptism that saves us. We know from Scripture what Scripture says. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's our faith calling upon God. God, forgive me of my sin. Clear my conscience of the guilt of my sin. When we call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says spiritually... We're baptized into the person of Jesus Christ. We're baptized into his body. And then we're raised with him to newness of life, uh, alive to God. But I want you to know here that he's also talking about the physical baptism. He says, remember your baptism. Because it is a physical picture, it is a physical testimony of what has already happened in your life. And it's like those eight who were in the ark. For you see that water over there, the water, or the the, um, water of the Old Testament, the ocean of the Old Testament, when God was pouring out his wrath, it's a picture of God's judgment. And when we are physically baptized, we are baptized into Christ. That means when we go under the water, it it is Christ who has taken on the wrath that I deserved. I'm hidden in Christ. And when I'm baptized, I'm in Christ. When I come up through that water, I'm made alive to God. This is what Christ has done in me. And essentially, Christ is our ark. It is Christ who keeps us. It is Christ who has saved us. And when it comes to baptism, it's something that physically that we choose to do because we are testifying to what Christ has already done in me spiritually. So I have a question for you. Have you been physically baptized? And I'm not talking about what's, what was done 
to you as a baby. Maybe you come from a, a, a Catholic experience, Catholic tradition, and you were baptized by, as an infant, but you've never been obedient to, to Christ and publicly gone through the waters of baptism following your salvation. And you've convinced yourself that what happened to me as a baby was good enough. That's not a biblical picture of baptism. For the Christian, the baptism follows the salvation experience because this is what has happened to you spiritually. And Peter is telling these believers, remember your baptism. Because just as God saved his family through the ark, through the waters, the judgment of God's wrath. That's what Christ did for you when you came to faith in him. He cleared your conscience. He gave you a new heart. And you were obedient in giving testimony of that through baptism. Don't forget that baptism. I remember my baptism just like it was yesterday. I was eight years old in Ashland Park Baptist Church. And Pastor Hatchet, yeah, that was his name. Pastor Hatchet asked me, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I was scared to death. I said, yes, I have. And he baptized me that day. That is a significant spiritual moment that I've, as I've gotten older and older, that I've learned more and more about. Don't wait until you become spiritually mature to be baptized. Scripture says that's the next step in obedience to your walk with God. Remember your baptism. And if you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you to not put that off. To be obedient. To not think that, well, because this was something done to you way back when. No. This is something that you choose to do after making the decision to follow Christ. And then last... We read verse 22 uh, earlier as we sang that song. Who has gone into the heavens and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Just remember, church, Christian, Jesus has it all under control. Keep doing the right thing. Don't give up. Don't give in. This is supposed to happen. You're doing the right thing, and these things are going wrong in your life. Don't worry. God's got a plan. Jesus suffered, and it was only through suffering that he could bring you to God. If he can save a few, he can save you. Remember your baptism. You are in Christ. And Jesus has it all under control. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your word. There's one here struggling this morning. They're trying to do the right thing. But it's not working out the way they want it to. They know that it's working out the way Jesus you want it to. And you just ask them to keep trusting you. To keep doing the right thing. Thank you for the faith of Noah. That he didn't give up. It took 120 years. But God, you said you'd do what you did. God, just as you protected him and his family, God, you want to protect us. Our lives are in you. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to give testimony of the hope that is in us, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified. God, help us to do it with gentleness and respect. God, that you will use this to be a testimony to those who don't believe. trusting that one day upon your return he will choose to glorify you Father thank you for this time use it in each of our lives because if we're not in a storm we're going to be in one thank you that you you hold us in the palm of your hand friend, if you don't have this confidence this morning, Jesus wants to give you this confidence, and it starts with a relationship with him. Call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Tell him that you believe that he died and he rose, that he's got it all under his feet you believe that friend the Bible says you'll be saved then walk in obedience testify to your faith be baptized go public don't be ashamed because it's the power of God that sets you free thank you Father for this time of worship Use it in our lives as we glorify you.